This is the Fear and Greed Saturday edition, a look at some of the most memorable stories of the week. I'm Michael Thompson, and good morning, Sean Aylmer. Morning, Michael. Now, Sean, as always, the Saturday show is all about the two of us each nominating what we think is the biggest story of the week, the most remarkable story, the sleeper story, and then our favourite story. And at the end, we are going to see if we can agree on a winner, and I'm going for a 4-0 clean sweep this week. Such confidence. Such, such confidence. confidence. Co- cockiness, I'd almost go, Michael. Oh, no, 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 because that implies that it's not justified, and this is because listen to what I believe is the biggest story of the week because it's an easy one. It is the arrival in Australia of the Omicron strain of coronavirus. It's looking more and more likely that while it might be more transmissible than Delta, the symptoms appear to be relatively mild. A number of fully vaccinated people who have arrived here from Southern Africa with the strain were actually asymptomatic. So that's a pretty good sign. But For me, it's the bigger story because of a couple of things. Number one is the uncertainty, and we saw that play out in the markets with investors getting the jitters here and overseas, some big sell-offs initially, but then a recovery. But the other reason this story is the biggest is because of the government's response to Omicron. Overall, I would say it was a pretty measured reaction. Travel bans on nine African countries and delaying the arrival of international students and visa holders, that all seemed to be reasonably well received. But the state governments didn't rush to close their borders or introduce new lockdowns. And that, to me, is a major change, one that gives a little bit of certainty perhaps for the future as new strains emerge. And we know they're going to over the coming months and years. So I put all of that together, and I reckon that's easily the biggest story of the week. What do you reckon? Well, I've just got to put a caveat there. Mark McGowan did close the Western Australia border to South Australia. Typical, isn't it? Very hard to fight that one. In fact, I wish I'd gone first. I'm going to have to find another one. That is the biggest story of the week. I'm conceding before we even start. Thank you. I think the other big one this week was sexual harassment in Parliament House. Hmm. The Sex Discrimination Commissioner Kate Jenkins' report said one in three people in Parliament House have been sexually harassed. If you add bullying in, it's about 50%. Now, she came up with a number of recommendations, including setting clear standards, establishing an independent complaints body, and developing an alcohol policy. The following day, a former staffer of Education Minister Alan Tudge, who had had an affair with the MP back in 2017, alleged it was abusive. Now, this is a very serious allegation. Mr Tudge and his former staffer, Rachel Miller, have both previously acknowledged the affair, but Ms Miller on Wednesday said on one occasion it involved physical abuse. It also involved emotional abuse, she claimed. Now, Mr Tudge immediately came out and completely and utterly rejected Ms Miller's accusations. He stepped aside from his ministerial duties, as he should, pending an investigation. I don't want to talk about that one specifically because it's a very serious occurrence and a very serious allegation that will have to play its way out. What I think, though, is quite incredible is just the problem within Parliament for all parties and everyone involved in politics around sexual abuse. You know, and I've worked in Parliament House in the press gallery. I've worked in banking. I've worked in journalism. I've worked in small businesses. Poor behaviour, unfortunately, is endemic in society. But if I take those four areas I've worked in, I would say Parliament House was certainly not the best of them. I'm not sure that it was the worst, but it was close to the worst. Why not ban alcohol for Parliament House? I mean, I'm starting to Mm. sound very old, but Parliament House is, if you're in Parliament House, you're working, unless you're a visitor, right? Mm. But everyone else is working in Parliament House. 
Not many other people are allowed to have alcohol in their work environment. Let's just ban alcohol. It is a crisis and something needs to be done. I agree, Michael. You win. A pandemic beats it, but it's not a bad second. Yeah, absolutely. It is a, it's a big story and one that's going to be playing out for some time to come. And, you know, I think you might be right. You're right. It is absolutely, it's a workplace and alcohol doesn't really have a place there. So maybe that is a is a recommendation that might be adopted. Look, let's move on to most remarkable story. And would you like to go first on this one? Because I, I reckon I probably still have the better one. So go for it. Well, I think the most remarkable story is that the Australian economy went backwards by almost 2% during the September quarter, and we're all really happy about it. Now, given more than half the country was in lockdown during the quarter, Victoria, New South Wales and the ACT, minus 1.9 is a cracking number. During June quarter last year, when everyone was in lockdown across the country, the number was almost 7%. So this was a huge improvement. Now, as we stand, the economy is now slightly smaller than it was in December 2019, but given the pandemic we have, it's quite remarkable the economy has held up so well. Since September, there's been 350,000 new jobs created. This week, retailers, including Centre Group, which actually owns the Westfield Malls, through to Premier Investments, which owns places like Peter Alexander, Smiggle, Dotty, those things, they're saying that things are getting back to normal or pre-COVID levels. National Australia Bank, They said that $8 billion was spent in the four days over the weekend from Black Friday to Cyber Monday a week ago. The Australian economy is quite remarkable. So that's why I think that's the most remarkable story. Just a special mention, especially for Westpac, for still being sued for charging dead people. That's pretty remarkable too. Yeah, remarkable and disgraceful. It's a pretty extraordinary story. But look, Sean, when, whenever there is an economy story, you have a bit of an advantage there because of your economics background. But to me, the most remarkable story is one that well, people like me are going to be telling people about. And this one has all the hallmarks of that. The list of the highest paid chief executives in the country. I don't think anyone at all is going to be surprised to see the boss of Macquarie Bank top the list at $16 million. But what is truly remarkable is the rise up the list of Rosalind Kogan, who is the the co-founder and CEO of the online retailer Kogan.com. His pay jumped from just $600,000, and it seems odd to even just say just $600,000, but went from $600,000 to $9 million. That is a 1,500% pay rise. And it might be understandable in certain circumstances, but Kogan.com's share price has gone backwards by about 60% since the start of the last financial year. And so look, this pay was really tied to the, the, the really high share price that it was achieving. But it's crazy when you think now that the CEO of the country's biggest company, the Commonwealth Bank, made $6.3 million and is 15th on the list. Rosalind Kogan is sixth on the list, and his company isn't even in the top 200. No wonder, Sean, shareholders lodged a pretty strong protest vote against the company's executive pay. That is just a remarkable story, don't you think? Absolutely. And I loved the chair, Greg Ritter, coming out and saying, well, Rosalind really deserved it because if he gets paid a lot, it means shareholders have benefited a lot. And that's true because his pay was tied to the share price. But as you said, its share price has gone from 25 bucks to 8 bucks. Does that mean they're actually going to take the pay away from him this financial year? I don't think so. I'm going to concede on that one too, Michael. It is a remarkable story. That's it. 2 Neil. We'll be back in a moment with our sleeper story. 
Okay, Sean, now we're looking at our sleeper story, which is the story that, that's kind of flying under the radar, maybe not getting the attention that it deserves. What was it for you? Well, it's oil prices, which sounds a bit crazy given we mm-hmm. talk about oil prices every a day. Lot. Yes. A lot, we do. But they're falling and no one's really talking about it. Instead, we're all talking about how ridiculously high petrol prices are at the moment. In fact, during the week, the Australian Institute of Petroleum said that pump prices have hit all-time highs in Hobart and Melbourne, that's around 179 cents a litre, and in Brisbane, which is about 185.5 cents a litre. In Sydney, they're close to record levels. But over the past couple of days, the fears about the Omicron variant of COVID-19 and the fact that OPEC decided to pump out more supply has pushed oil prices low. That means petrol prices should be coming down in the next few days. So if you have half a tank, Wait for a few days, unless you're driving kids to sporting events all weekend, such as some of us are. (laughs) Otherwise, wait, and maybe Tuesday, Wednesday next week, petrol should be cheaper. No one's talking about it. It is the sleeper story of the week. It is such a sleeper story that I didn't even realise that cheaper petrol was on the way, and I have instant regret for filling up yesterday, (laughs) Sean. (laughs) (laughs) I got mine at 189.9 cents, and then I was driving in another part of the city I live in, and I saw 175 cents. And so you immediately, in my case, I go, a 50-litre tank times 14, oh, my God, that's 12 bucks. That's, yep. you know, three cups of coffee. You it get really, it really does yourself. hurt, doesn't it? It, it does. Hurts. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that is a good sleeper story. And my sleeper story actually got a fair bit of coverage. So I'll, I'll have to explain why it's a sleeper in a moment. But it's the government's crackdown on social media platforms, holding them responsible for harmful content. Under these new proposed laws, social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter and the rest of them will have essentially the same legal liabilities as mainstream publishers. They'll have to disclose the identity of trolls as well, and there'll be a standardized complaint system which will allow users to have damaging and defamatory material removed. There's also going to be a parliamentary inquiry which will examine the behavior of these companies in allowing the material to flourish online. And the part I'm really interested in is it's going to look at the role of algorithms, which are really, really secretive. The companies do not like talking about their algorithms because they control everything that you see. So a parliamentary inquiry may actually be able to expose the role that they play in putting this damaging material in front of people. So why is it a sleeper? Because clearly this was talked about a fair bit through the week. It's because these are some of the toughest laws in the world. The social media companies are not going to like it and they'll probably put up a bit of a fight. But, and this is the key, Scott Morrison says he's going to lobby the US for similar legislation. And that's why I think it's almost an international sleeper story because Australia may end up setting a global precedent here with this one. And it's a global precedent that could make a massive difference to people's lives. Okay. So if it had been done... I'd agree it's a better story than petrol prices. But this is just a politician coming out saying this is what we're going to do and we're going to lobby the US, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know what? Because I filled up my tank yesterday (laughs) and didn't realise that cheaper petrol was was on the way, yours was a true sleeper story, so you can have this one. Thank you. Now, favourite story of the week. I might kick off this one. Sure. My favourite story, and this will be probably no surprise to you, Sean, because I typically end up talking about planes at some point during this show. My favourite story is one about planes. Nobody's been flying much over the last 18 months, obviously, but 
plenty of people have still been accruing Qantas frequent flyer points and frequent flyer points for other airlines. But really, Qantas, they have a lot of other avenues that give people the opportunity to build up points, uh, credit card spending and and the like. Of course, these are a, a liability on an airline's books because they'll eventually have to cash them in. Which brings me to my favorite story, Qantas's second frequent flyer points auction, where they're offering fairly unique experiences in an attempt to get people to offload those points that they've been hoarding and get them off their books. You can get items like retired business class seats and drinks carts, but also trips like a private jet flight to Hamilton Island with 23 of your closest friends. But how about this one, Sean? There are Two business, this is all one package, two business class flights to London, eight nights at a five-star hotel, a helicopter tour, a tour in a mini, a whole bunch of other experiences while you're there. It was the first item sold in this auction and it was valued at $40,000. It sold for just 2.52 million Qantas points. Now, I don't have anywhere near that. I don't even have a fraction of that, but I don't reckon that's too bad, really. No, you're probably right. 2.5, I mean, I agree. I'm not, but for a very frequent flyer, that's not bad. And it's not a bad trip. And you know what? Qantas would be loving this because they are getting some fantastic PR out of it. We've just spent the last two and a half minutes talking about their frequent flyer auction. And that's free publicity here on Fear and Greed. Well, that's exactly why it should not win the favourite story of the week. Oh, no, that's not fair. Go on, what have you got? Editorial independence here at Fear and Greed. Actually, (laughs) mine is in the airline industry as well. It's an interview I did this week with Jane Herdlicker, who is the CEO of Virgin Australia. Now, Jane spoke really openly about what it was like to run the airline during the last 12 months. Now, she got the job late last year. Bain Capital now owns Virgin. It had gone into voluntary administration. Bain bought it. They then brought in... Jane to run it. Very candid, very open, talked about the travails of the industry, talked about how she kept employees engaged, talked about their frequent flyer program, you know, why it was better operating when you're not a listed company, what she hopes Virgin can achieve. She still targets one third of domestic passenger routes for Virgin planes. It was just a cracking interview. And she was so open about it, which you don't get from the CEO of organizations very often. So that's why it was my favourite story of the week. I think it's quite amusing that for our favourite story, we've actually come down to Qantas versus Virgin. Mm. And I think on this occasion, Virgin has won it because that was a cracking interview. And you can hear that at fearandgreed.com.au or in your podcast playlist. But yep, you can have that one to all for this week, Sean. Well done. Once again, we often end up at to all. I think next week we're going to have a tiebreaker. Oh, let's do it. That sounds great. Now, don't forget that tomorrow, Sean and I will both be back with Adam Lang from the Fear and Greed team to have a bit of a lighter look at some of the business news around the place. I'm Michael Thompson. Have a good Saturday and a great weekend.